Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours, the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you today from Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, Joe Puzz, PMO Joe. And for the next hour, we'll be talking project management with our special guests. I also want to say thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad. Are you tired of failed projects? Deploy the squad to handle all your PMO and project management challenges. Visit www.thepmosquad.com to learn more about all of their project management services. Also, just want to take a moment here before we dig into the show with our guests to say this is the final episode of 2018. Season one is coming to a close, and I'm just very thankful for all the opportunities this has presented. So a special thanks today to Business Radio X, Phoenix Business Radio X, Karen Nowicki, our sponsors, the PMO Squad, and Talia Software, who sponsored earlier in the year. The show has exceeded all our expectations, and we are making a dent in the project management world by providing a voice and giving a a platform for our project management leaders to share their story. I also want to look to the future and say we're really looking forward to an amazing season two in 2019. We're going to be kicking off the year with some amazing guests. Uh, Andy Kaufman, Ruth Pierce, Dana Brownlee, Bill Dow, uh, and many more to come. So we're excited for what's to come and we're thankful for what we've already accomplished. And of course, to our listeners, right? We're doing this for you. And I get great feedback to let uh, me know that we're providing value. So we're, we're doing something fun. We love it. And it's helping out our industry. Also want to remind everybody that we are live. And if you have a question for Don or Mark, who are our guests today, you can tweet them in, use hashtag PMO Joe, and we'll pick them up on Twitter and we'll be able to get to you live on air. So with that, let's dig in. I'm excited to have as our guest today, Mark Price Perry from BOT International and Don Hardenbrook from Little Fuse. Welcome, Mark and Don. Welcome. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Uh, Mark, before we jump into our topics, I want to give you a moment to be able to talk a little bit about yourself and get, have our listeners get to know you a little bit more. So take a moment here and introduce yourself. Well, thank you, Joe. And for those that are listening, I don't like to talk about myself, so this will be very short. I came to the project management uh, industry and PMO management industry quite by accident. I spent the first 20 years of my career on the business side uh, where I was either served by a project manager or served by a PMO most of the time, but, but not actually in the PMO. And then after 20 years of experience with projects and PMOs of all kinds on the business side, I found myself in the traditional project management space, uh, IT project management, enterprise project management. And and that's where I've been for the last 15 or 17 years. Uh, I just say that because I have a set of convictions uh, with respect to project management and in particular PMO management that's vastly different from what I see espoused in the project management industry. So I look forward to sharing some of those convictions uh, uh, with, with the audience today. And, and Joe, I think you and I certainly drink from the same side of the teacup. So I'm really uh, pleased to be with you here today as well. Thanks so much, Mark. Yeah, we're excited to get your perspective and uh, 
and dig into your topics. And we'll do that in just a moment. First, Don, I also want to give you a moment to say hello to our listeners and introduce yourself and and what you have to share with all of us today. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Don Hardenbrook. I work for a company called Little Fuse. Many of you may not who th- know who they are, but they make uh, fuses and sensors and controls for like seat belts, for Apple iPhone battery protection, for your appliances. So they're quite quite diverse. I make billions of little parts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I myself, my background, um, I'm an electrical engineer. I've actually been in the Valley here, even though my company isn't based in Chicago. I worked for my home office and good career at Intel, uh, Salt River Project, and Orbital Sciences here locally. And um, I'm similar to to Mark. I'm a I was doing project management when I was an engineer, and then you know, like like five years ago, I go, well, you know, maybe I should get certified. So I am a PMP certified, um, working on my ACP actually. But it was interesting because like, well, I I should know what all this is about. And I found out well, I was lacking a lot of knowledge around project management in the traditional sense. So. Um, I'm also working not as a formal project manager. I'm a director in uh, global quality systems, management systems for Little Few. So we have 18 factories. So I spend a lot of time seeing a lot of projects that don't go, as Mark implied, don't do a traditional project management process. So, Well, fantastic. And I think the important thing is the world is made up by companies who build a billion little things that nobody really recognizes the name. But the engine that drives our economy and across the globe, of course, is made up of the little fuses of of the world. So I'm very fortunate to be able to have both of you on. And, you know, we during that introduction, you both alluded to or talked openly about the business side of project management and how that impact uh, really should be centered on the business to, to be able to drive what we're trying to accomplish. And Mark, you're Kind of, you're the pioneer. Your air quotes here, known as the business-driven PMO expert. Can you dig into a little bit more about that, and what does that exactly mean, business-driven PMO? Well, Joe, that's a great question, and it leads into a entertaining story. Uh, years ago, in 1999, I attended my first PMO seminar. Now, do you guys remember your first PMO seminar you went to? Uh, that's I, a long time ago. Yeah, I did, could not recall. That was only about five yeah. years ago. <laughs> well, you know, to me, it was pretty vivid because at that time, I was a business person. I had been in a PMO once. I had managed a PMO once. I had a PMO manager report to me once. And as an executive, I had the PMO function serve me and other leadership team members numerous times. So I had 20 years of experience on the business side, uh, and I had a pretty good idea of what the purpose of a PMO is and what a PMO does to achieve that purpose. So imagine my surprise when in 1999, I heard one presenter after another talk about how to set up and manage a PMO. And in fact, I can vividly, after 20 years, still remember one particular PMO presentation where the presenter said, the way you set up a PMO is the following three steps. Step one, pick a PMO model. Step two, rapidly put in place your people, processes, and tools. And step three, establish quick wins to get buy-in and support for the PMO. Sounds familiar? So yep. It, it, yep. Took, it, yeah, it, it took me no time at all to realize that business people like me and project management people like those at this PMI, PMO conference, don't speak the same language and have a very different view on PMO setup and management. Uh, from where I'm coming from, business people first discuss and determine the ends to be achieved of the PMO, whereas project management people jump right into the means to the ends. They put the cart before the horse and snatch defeat 
from the jaws of victory. So at the time, it was my opinion, and this was 20 years ago, it was my opinion that the approach of picking a PMO model was perpetuating poor business management and causing more harm than good. And more to the point, it was my conviction, unlike those PMO presenters, the ones that had the certifications and all the uh, uh, ribbons on their chest, it was my conviction that there really are only two PMO models. You know, So forget all that you hear about weather station, control tower, fighter squadron, uh, deliver now PMO, IT PMO, enterprise PMO, strategic PMO, value PMO, next generation PMO. I, I advocate that there's really only two PMO models, PMOs that are driven by the needs of the business and those that aren't. So when viewed that way, the first step in PMO setup and management is to determine the needs of the business in terms of specific project-related issues and opportunities that the constituent leadership team served by the PMO wants its PMO to address, you know, the ends to be achieved. And then once that's established, and only once that's established, then the next step, the second step, is to determine the PMO business plan to best address those specific project-related issues and opportunities or, or the means to the ends. So this became and is what I mean or the premise of the business-driven PMO. We're driven by specific ends to be achieved, and the means to the ends is just the way we go about it. But the purpose of the PMO is not you know, to establish a standard for project management throughout the enterprise. Yet you know, that's what you continue to hear. And regrettably, gosh, it's been 20 years uh, since I first kind of weighed in and, and uh, you know, threw water on the, you know, splashed water in people's faces and became kind of a, a boat rocker. But I'll tell you, even today, I still see the cart being put before the horse people still talking about, you know, PMO models and cookie cutter strategies and, and ways to trick executives into being happy with their PMO. So that that's in a nutshell what I mean by the business-driven PMO. And perhaps for me, it means a little bit more than most because in nearly 40 years of project management, I've literally spent half of that 20 years on the business side. And I've spent the last 20 years more in the project management industry or project management domain where, where I see firsthand the vast different perspectives. And, and so that, that's a, a longer story than I should have given you, Joe oh, and Don. But I, I think you could probably relate to it, yeah. that uh, uh, the business-driven PMO is a little bit different perspective than what most people view when they kind of talk about how to get a PMO up and going. You know, I, I find that actually interesting because uh, our, our company, Little Fuse, uh, just I think the beginning of 2017 actually set up a corporate PMO. But it wasn't like intended or directed to be enterprise-wide. We actually focused it on where we had a business problem, which was in our product development. So the initial focus of that PMO is really around um, our product development project managers and what we're doing in terms of establishing and following our, our product development processes. And a lot of the metrics aren't those, you know, those enterprise metrics we're looking at, you know, time to market, profitability, you know, those are the things that the projects are looking at in terms of their metrics. So I, I like like what you're saying here. I'm very much in line with what Mark talks about with this. And I think about other functions or departments within our organizations. And accounting isn't trying to be there to push accounting principles and practices on the organization, right? They're there to work within the business model the organization has built and then use accounting practices to help them achieve those results. And as Mark has said, I've 
found too many times where we've gone in to work with clients where they've got PMOs in place to try to ensure that project management is being rigid and held to, but the the business outcomes are are not at the point of what they're trying to achieve. So it's Joe, a- it's funny you gave that analogy because uh, the analogy I gave 20 years ago, and it really offended a lot of people at PMI and the, at the conference I was at, I, I took an example of uh, sales, much like you just did with accounting. And what I said was, if you had a vice president of sales that advocated or told his boss that the purpose of the sales management organization was to staff an organization, people, to roll out a methodology, process, and implement a tool for capturing data, you know, sales, people process tools. And if you were to go about approaching sales management office in terms of establishing a standard for how we manage sales, I mean, sure, you do some of that, but that's not the purpose of the sales management organization. And anybody that thinks that way ought to be at least counseled on the spot, if not dismissed. And so too, it should be with PMO managers. So I, I said a statement kind of like that. And I just can't tell you the the jaw drops that I then witnessed where people just felt so threatened. And I said, I, I don't know what you guys are doing, but we speak a very different language. And I'll even go a, another step further and say we had Dr. Harold Kersner on a few episodes back. Uh, and he was talking about the future of project management and how do we define project success? And he said, it's simple, right? The only way to define if a project has been successful is if it achieved the business outcome it was trying to. And and we lose sight of that so frequently, right? We're doing projects because there's a business purpose for it. So it's great to have some alignment with guests on the show. We don't always have alignment. Sometimes it's healthy when we don't, we can have a good debate, but it looks like we have that alignment today. Don, what I'm interested to hear a little bit as well about on how you operate over there uh, from a business perspective as well, it seems, is is everyone a project manager, right? It, it seems like we all are working on temporary endeavors, right? If we use PMI's definition. So does it? Yeah, I totally agree. I, you know, when I think about project management, you know, it's a beginning and an end with, as you guys say, a goal, right? An outcome. And I can't think of anything that doesn't actually apply that way in the business world. We don't, uh, you know, we don't do things to build camaraderie or to foster a culture. We actually are there to get work done and how we do it. Those things are important. But, you know, as I said, I'm, uh, we talked about Mark saying that 20 years here in, in kind of business project management and then 15 on the other side, I've been all my time on the business side. I've never been in a PMO. I've never really had the title of a project manager, but like everyone else, I have ran projects, whether they were small ones that was just a team of one, me, or, you know, uh, coordinating, at, like my time at Intel, so coordinating an 84-hour site shutdown, right, where you've got a lot of people involved. But everything is basically a project because it needs to have, as he said, achieve a successful outcome. And, and I'm wondering, from a methodology standpoint, it's, it's always fun and and I get great insight from guests who aren't traditional project managers, but are project managers and, and their insights on lean thinking or agile thinking and versus traditional waterfall projects. And what are your thoughts on that, Don, of how do you bring those things to bear on the work that you're doing? Yeah, it's interesting because I think that I, and I'm obviously I'm a, thinking of from the quality side as well, the whole idea of efficiency and effectiveness and what in terms of what you're doing is kind of pervasive in all the jobs that we do. I think what I see here is you look at the traditional way of doing project management and now you start to see these agile techniques which are really trying to figure out a way to lean out the project management 
And I see these, you know, those, some of those are inherited from the software side. But uh, I actually like what's going on because it kind of cuts to the chase and eliminates all the, the stuff that really doesn't add value in terms of what you're doing for project management. And that's actually why I'm getting excited about doing the ACP, Agile Certification, uh, with PMI. Because it's going to help me think about as I manage projects at, at Littlefuse, which is, by the way, traditional manufacturer, doesn't understand software. They think project management as in the more traditional sense. They do a waterfall Product development is really how a lot of their stuff works, although we're trying to bring in lean uh, new product development practices in, and we're starting to do that. But it's a sea change if you're thinking about how you used to do projects and how this whole agile and lean are playing into that. Yeah, and and I'm wondering, Mark, on your thoughts to just expand on that a little bit of PMOs are business-driven. I talked about what Dr. Kersner had mentioned about the future of projects and how they're successful how about you? What's the, the purpose of project management itself? Well, yeah, that's a real good point. I mean, and in fact, it's one that I probably should share with you some research because, you know, for, for gosh, quite some time now, I've advocated that most people don't know what the purpose of the PMO is. And we'll get to that in a moment. But first, and more importantly, uh, I see that most project managers don't know what the purpose of project management is. So what do I mean by that? Well, our research that we've conducted shows that 90% of project managers, these are certified PMPs, incorrectly think that the purpose of project management is to deliver the project on time and on budget. Only 10% of project managers correctly understand that the purpose of project management is to apply project management techniques in the best possible manner relative to the business context and stakeholder biases for the project. Now, when I say that, I can't tell you how many project managers, certified project managers, kind of give me that, you know, look, uh, deer in the headlight look. But take, for example, a time to market project in which the stakeholder bias is to aggressively schedule the project and to complete it as fast as possible. That's vastly different from a project that's subject to penalties, where if you finish later than contractually committed to, you might be liable. Uh, So in one case, you have a stakeholder that uh, wants to aggressively schedule. And in another case, you have a stakeholder that needs to safely schedule. So for purpose of the discussion, an example I like to give is, let's assume you have two projects, both are 100 days. In the time to market project, the stakeholder might very well want the project manager to use negative buffering and aggressively schedule the project complete in 70 days, not 100. Knowing full well that the project will likely be late and finish in 80 days, but that would be 20 days earlier than 100 days, and that achieves 20 more days of increased revenue and market share. So, so well done to the project manager. But this approach would be totally inappropriate for the project that's subject to severe penalties for finishing late. In that project, again, assume it's 100 days, the stakeholder might very well want a project manager to use positive buffering, safely schedule the project complete in 130 days, knowing that the project may likely consume more than the initial estimate 100 days, maybe 10 extra days, but not a, a 30 extra days. But with the ample positive buffer and a schedule of 130 days, the extreme penalties are avoided and the project is safely completed. So these are two examples that reveal that the purpose of project management is not to deliver the project on time and on budget, but to apply the techniques of project management in the manner that's most appropriate for the business context of the project and the stakeholder biases for the project. And again, our research shows that 90% of certified project managers, PMPs, have an incorrect understanding of the purpose of project management. And worse, they do not fully know or use the business context of the project and stakeholder biases for the projects they manage. And, and 
I don't know what to say. You, know, you can have your PMP certification all you want, but you're no good to me if you don't know the context of the project and the stakeholder biases for the project. Do, do you think that's a lack of understanding the business context or, you know, a lot of people bring, get hired in from other companies and, you know, they've maybe been more in a PMO that's more traditional and maybe, or maybe a whole different industry. Do you think that's what might be a cause of that? Well, I would say probably the two leading culprits are Dr. Kersner and uh, the Pembach. <laughs> uh, and, and I don't mean to blame them, them being the, uh, facetious and gratuitous, but I would say, you know, we really don't need a project management body of knowledge. I mean, I guess there's some value to that. What we really need is a project management body of application. And that's the problem. You know, people, what's the first thing you learn in PMP certification class? First thing the instructor tells you, what you'll learn in the next 35 hours isn't how to manage a project, but how to pass the test. So I, I think part of the problem is there's this maniacal focus on getting a certification on the body of knowledge, and there's far less focus on the practical application of that body of knowledge. Now, to be fair, that's not the role of the PMBOK. That's not the purpose of PMI, and there's plenty of room in the industry for practical application, but I tell you, it's, it's like the elephant in the room. That's what I see missing when it comes to the way people view project management, again, nine out of 10 have the wrong view. And it's totally missing in terms of how people view PMO management. In fact, it's even worse in how people view PMO management. I'm curious, Don, from your perspective, right? So a director of quality and quality is another one of measure of like success, right? As, as Mark's mentioning on a project, how do you determine a project successful on those outcomes? And the two examples he presented both could be successful, but at polar opposites of the way to apply them. In a quality perspective, is there a similar dynamic there? I think the, uh, I guess it's a different, I always offer a different perspective when we think about quality. The quality organization in, in any company is really responsible and the advocate for the customer. So if the customer says that this has to be done by this date, the example that Mark was using, and there's penalties if you don't hit it, then because that customer wants that, then that's how we need to orient that project. Um, if it's something else where, like in the automotive industry, we serve a lot, about 30% of our business is in the automotive industry. If our product goes into a safety system, uh, you know, there's you may want to spend more time doing reliability studies and more testing and making sure that it works well within a, you know, a safety system. And so that may not be, you know, again, because that's what the customer thinks is important. So uh, the orientation from quality standpoint is always what's important to the customer, then how can we meet those needs and make sure that we can, you know, we comply at a minimum or do a great job for them. And customer, well, Don, Don, I can tell that you're a professional engineer <laughs> and uh, that you came up <laughs> through the engineering ranks and not the project management space, because I could not agree with you more. And so, so imagine my surprise having your exact perspective, which is the perspective I had coming from the sales and marketing side of the house when I worked with PMO after PMO, where they view project quality, project management quality as, did you follow the process? Mm -hmm. So they view quality of, did you follow the process and fill out templates? It just drives me crazy. Uh, and it all gets back to the unintentioned, but fact of the matter impact that the project management body of knowledge has on the way project people go about managing business issues. So, so again, I, I think few people would argue with what Don said in terms of how you approach getting your arms around quality, but that flies diametrically in the face of what many P 
PMOs do when they seek to measure project management quality by just merely looking at, okay, did you follow the waterfall uh, uh, life cycle and did you complete all of the required templates of the waterfall life cycle? So there's just a lot of room for business-driven thinking. Uh, It's just sorely absent in the project management space. You know, I I think, again, it's kind of that idea of if the project managers can understand the business and what's really important about the business, I think, you know, at some point, a lot of the stuff, they have to make the call themselves, right? As you said, it's not like I followed the PMBOK, but, you know, because of this, this is a high risk. And I think really the emphasis where I think there's some alignment actually with the project management and the quality now is, you know, they've, with the new ISO 9001, they've said, we want businesses and the management in those businesses to be managing risk for stakeholders, for whatever area. But the projects, you know, as we all know, are high-risk endeavors, <laughs> okay? So so we need to think about it that way. And I think when we start thinking about those aspects, customer, you know, the customer, the manufacturing, the design, you know, all that stuff as risk, um, I think it actually brings alignment of the project management folks, the quality folks, the factories, you know, the business units, everyone. Yeah, I think back to a story. Uh, my first time being a PMO manager, uh, there was no training on how to be a PMO manager. I'd been a project manager, been successful, then a program manager and taken on large work. And then it was, hey, Joe, can you run the PMO? Well, of course I can. We wanted to improve our results. And for me, it was governance. Let's get into quality and let's audit. Are we filling out our checklist appropriate? Is our schedule done right? Is our budget being handled appropriately? And I had no view of the business perspective of what we were trying to accomplish. So while I kept thinking we were being successful, the business, the folks that we were running projects for, kept pointing out how we were not being successful. And I think that was the birth of my change in mindset, or maybe actually the development of the mindset, because I hadn't really run a PMO before, into what Mark's talking about, and Don, you as well, of course, is that if we're not using the PMO to execute on business process and business-driven results, then we're missing out why we're actually doing projects, right? It's not to check a box. It's actually to achieve something. Um, And I can't stress the importance of that more, but at the same time, the challenges we have in our industry from PMO leaders is where do they go get that training? Because we don't have anything really that is as popular as the PMBOK and PMI are. There isn't a counterbalance to that from a PMO to help that other than books such as once Mark's written, of course. I always enjoy hearing folks like Don who are in the business setting but have project management background and expertise and certifications to be able to bring those two together. Um, I'm just going to go back on you were talking about audits because, you know, I'm in quality and people hate audits. (laughs) audits. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I've, um, and we're actually trying to change the culture and little fuse around all of this because, you know, we have 18 factories around the world. Uh, they get audited to meet their, their ISO 9000 or automotive compliance um, requirements. But I try to tell, it, it, it's this whole idea of what value is that bringing? It's not about point assigning blame. It's around, we're finding problems with our business systems, our quality systems that need improvement. And to kind of look at that as a way to do um, continual improvement or continuous improvement, as it's called, is really where I think, and, and the PMO has the same same idea, right, when they talk about lessons learned. 
So managing risk, lessons learned, all these things, as I said, kind of converge when you actually start looking at them. And it's, yeah, you can have a project management perspective or a qualities perspective or any other. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of similarities in things. And if I think if you just open your mind to understanding maybe the language, right, it's a different language, but they're t- trying to achieve the same things. And Mark, you had mentioned the 90% uh, stats for project managers and not understanding the purpose of project management. You mentioned it was even worse with PMOs. What Can you give us some insights on that? Sure. You know, we've done quite a bit of research uh, in terms of PMO management, PMO setup. And what we see is 25% of PMOs are business driven. 75% of PMOs are not business driven. But of the business driven PMOs, that 25%, 40% of those PMOs were business driven from the start. 60%, the remaining of the business driven PMOs, weren't even business driven from the start. Rather, they experienced on average two churns or three changes to become business driven. You know, so that basically says only 10% of PMOs are business driven from the start, 90% are not business driven and go through oftentimes two, three, four churns. So if you if you kind of viewed it in terms of churns, not just organizations, that 10% number really drops down to about 3% uh, of experiences. Uh, so there's a lot of bad experiences, well over 90, probably close to 95% of PMO experiences in settlement management are really poor acumen and, and not to pick up, but rather take up on what you mentioned, Joe, kind of the way you went about it your first time, you know, to no discredit to you is exactly what we see is that project management people, they know project management. They have good project skills. But how many people have had business management training? How many people have had leadership training, servant leadership training? Do they even have the skill sets to herd the cats of the leadership team to effectively arrive at a leadership team-determined PMO mandate by way of consensual, unanimous agreement on the purpose of the PMO, the value of achieving that purpose, and success measures to serve as achievement of the purpose as well as accountability for the PMO? Very few project managers, no matter how good they are in project management, can be put into PMO management without those skill sets and succeed. And, and it's not a matter of certification training. I get this question asked a lot because I work with PMOs and help them become more business driven. And, and I often tell leadership teams, your PMO managers know enough about project management. You need to help them with their business management. And you can't send everybody to a class and there's no certification for this. But I always advocate two things to do that will take any project manager that's found themselves in a position of managing PMO and quickly bring them up to speed to get business acumen and business manager experience. First, if they haven't already, and typically they haven't, subscribe to and read the Harvard Business Review. They come out every two months. If you subscribe to HBR after one year, read every issue, you will develop incredible business acumen. And don't just read the issues. Relate those issues to your business environment. If they're talking about quality, if they're talking about blockchain, if they're talking about logistics, take that to the appropriate leadership team member of your organization if you have any questions or if you have any insights you want to share. you know, Have a lunch or have a cup of coffee and do that. That's far more valuable than going to your monthly Project Management Institute chapter meeting. And the second thing I advocate, in addition to just merely subscribing to and reading HBR, buy two books, one on situational leadership, one on servant leadership, because a PMO manager in many ways is a servant leader, uh, and, and you servant lead you know, your leadership team, but you also have to situationally manage 
many PMO managers or first-time managers, and I was this way as a first-time manager uh, in, in marketing management, I had the mindset, I'm going to treat everybody the same. I'm going to be professional, and I'm going to treat everybody with respect, and I'm going to treat everybody the same. Congratulations. I just failed new manager school because you can't treat everybody the same. You have to treat people. You have to lead people based upon their willingness and ability to do a task. You know, it's situational leadership. You treat someone who is totally skilled, totally able and willing, willing and able, completely different than someone that is not skilled and not willing. <laughs> yeah. and, and so these types of things, leadership, servant leadership, you know, business acumen, they're part and parcel to any leadership development class or offering that managers would get. In fact, I often tell the story that when I was in management with IBM, first as a first line manager, later as a second line, and then as a director, you know, I was sent to Harvard, I was sent to Wharton and had all this great leadership training. And in my last class I went to, it was a Harvard Business School class uh, designed especially for IBM uh, directors. After it was over, I kind of went to my boss and said, you know, this is good stuff, but quite frankly, I could have used this 15 years ago because <laughs> I've kind of figured out how to do this the hard way. Uh, I could have really benefited from this servant leadership, business acumen, people management, different approaches to situational leadership. I could have benefited this far more in my first gig as a manager of any type. You know, by the time I'm a third or fourth level manager, you know, you've kind of learned this uh, on the ropes. So, so getting back to your point, yes is a situation where most project managers ask to lead a PMO. They have a certification of project management, and that is an important skill to have and they will need as a PMO manager. But they typically bring to the table very little by way of business acumen and leadership. But don't despair. If you just get the HBR, uh, and if you just get a couple of books on leadership, in three, six, nine months, you can rapidly pick that up. And I'll just kind of end this story with when I give this advice, to PMOs I work with or to folks that you know come to workshops. I used to do a lot of workshops, not so much anymore. When I'd give this advice, I would ask for a show of hands of anyone in the room that already was subscribing to HBR. And of course, to no surprise, there's not been a single attendee of a PMO management workshop that I've conducted in 20 years that subscribes to the Harvard Business Review. And, and I think that just speaks to the two different worlds we live in. On the business side of the fence, you know, we would not think we would not not think of subscribing. I mean, just be secondhand. The only question would be, can my company pay for it or I'd have to pay for it myself? Uh, but on the project management side, my goodness, you have all these certifications and body of knowledges, but, but no one reads HBR. It, I just find that ironic. I have, I have to jump in for my fellow MIT graduates and say <laughs> MIT Sloan School is, is a great route to go to get some education as well and not just uh, the Harvard route. I, I we, was weren't, a, we weren't smart enough. <laughs> we, weren't, we weren't smart enough. MIT wouldn't let us IBMers on the campus, but you're absolutely right about that. And uh, a similar experience for me as well, going up through the ranks of Textron and running the PMOs there. It wasn't until I went into the MIT Executive Leadership Program where I was had that exposure to the business side, much like you just talked, Mark, to be able to get those concepts. And I'm 100% an advocate that the leader of the PMO needs to be a leader of a business function. Certainly they need to be able to understand the concepts of project management, but they don't have to be the best project manager and they don't have to, it's kind of like a manager of a, a football team, right? I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan and Mike Tomlin's the coach. 
Mike Tomlin wasn't the best football player, but he understood how to play. And now he's a coach, right? He's not a player anymore. And he uses coaching techniques to be able to get his team to perform the way the ownership of the Steelers want them to perform. So I like I like your description there. I've actually lived that walk so I can personalize it and feel it as well. Well, I can't give you any love for Pittsburgh, but I'm kind of a, I'm maybe Go a little Cardinals. older. But the, the example I give is Vince Lombardi. You know, same thing as uh, the example you just gave. Uh, you know, a, a great uh, football coach isn't necessarily the best football player. Same too with PMO managers. Don, I'm wondering at Little Fuse and, and other corporations where you've worked, do you see this dynamic at play where the PMOs are really being run by project leaders and not business leaders? And do they understand the value of uh, what business leadership can provide? Uh, it's interesting that you say that. I've, I'm trying to think back in my time at Intel if we had a, a corporate PMO. I don't actually think we did. You know, the project managers actually reported into the business units. So I think they, by nature, the ones that were working on product development, they had a, a business alignment to things. And typically, some of those folks that got promoted to project managers were actually engineers. So, mm-hmm. they, you know, I think there's a rationale and logic that project management made sense to them. And, and whether they were you know, certified or not, they could understand what, you know, from a logical standpoint of how things needed to work. Right, Little Fuse, as I said before, the, we actually brought in somebody, I think he was from Nokia, I believe. But anyway, you know, had already had some experience. And I think that's another way to, to actually fill in that PMO position, you know, manager position is actually bring somebody with some business experience into it who, you know, has project management knowledge as well. Absolutely. Let's switch gears slightly a little bit here. And Don, I'm wondering about from a quality perspective, right? Standardizing business processes is important because they're auditable there. You can follow them, right? How does that help from a execution standpoint and within the business and and how does that tie into project management as well okay yeah then let me provide a little bit of context for my why i got hired at little fuse actually about two and a half years ago my boss uh, john wanted me to come in because of my experience at intel working with a place where there were standard processes for doing you know manufacturing and uh, from my quality background as well well little fuse has grown tremendously the last few years through acquisition. So when you start looking and you start building acquisitions, you start realizing, well, they don't do things the same thing in that factory (laughs) as they do over here. They don't design products the same way in their R&D as they do over here. And it became pretty apparent that, you know, if we want to continue growing, we have to think about how to standardize our processes. Um, One of the ones we did very specifically that impacted the project managers is we have a uh, new product development process we call the five phase. Um, it, we needed to make that automotive compliant since that was our most stringent quality standard that we had to comply to. But we couldn't have every different unit doing their own way of, of uh, doing a product that way. So mm-hmm. uh, we pulled those folks together, the engineering directors. Uh, we got them to sit down and agree to a standard process that they could um, you know, follow as much as possible with some, you know, some flexibility there. Cause as you know, one rigid process isn't going to necessarily work for everyone. But I think that's one of those examples of where you have to have, you know, standard processes. It affects people. I, I think the biggest challenge is you guys were talking about PMO, but this as well is people don't want to change. Mm. <laughs> if you didn't have a PMO before and everyone did things the way they wanted to, and with the same example with the five phase, they don't want to change. 
you have to, you know, go through that process, make them understand the rationale again. And then, you know, you reinforce these things with auditing, you know, checking for metrics and all this other stuff. But, but change is a very difficult problem. And I think that's the biggest one with any process improvement. Um, we're going through that now with implementing a PLM system. Our company's uh, getting close to approaching $2 billion, which isn't big in terms of Intel or some other companies. It's a big company, though. But, you know, what's, what the challenge is, is they didn't have a PLM system. And so now we're trying to put that in place. Well, everyone's been doing stuff the way they've been doing it. Um, and now we're going to ask them to do it differently. So, you know, my biggest challenge isn't, well, here's, you know, we've already selected a tool, you know, all this other stuff, but it's going to be, how are we going to convince everyone that they need to change? And that's really the biggest challenge with process improvement projects. Well, change management, of course, is a component of every project, right? Because you're, you're doing a unique project. Something is going to come out of that that's new. Uh, it could be small change, could be large change, but it still requires change management. And same would go from a new PMO that's going in, right? Yeah. How do you handle the change management components of that? And, and I'm wondering, you know, can we dig a little deeper on that, Don? Sure. Just go in a little bit deeper of how to execute those projects, right? You, you mentioned the challenge being change management, but within a, an organization, whether it's Little Fuse or, or wherever, how do you overcome that? Well, you know, I used uh, and I'm learning this as I go, so I'm not going to say I'm an expert. Um, I, you know, I spent after I left Intel, I spent nine years as a consultant, kind of, you know, elbow to elbow with business owners and trying to pitch them on why they should change, right? So it became a little different when I went back to corporate life. The essence of it's still the same. You have to convince the executive people, the senior managers, whoever that is, that they need to buy into the change, okay? And you have to, again, go back to driving the business reason why you're wanting this to make this change. And quite frankly, if that doesn't resonate with them, and that's the challenge I see with all the change processes, if the senior management doesn't buy in, the middle management doesn't buy in. The people who don't want to change at the bottom, <laughs> the organization, the workers, the, the the knowledge workers, they won't change. So it's, you know, I'm still working through this idea of, well, how do I bring and make the case for how an organization needs to deal with this change? And there's not, you know, you know you've got a lot of books, you know, Leading Change, uh, these other books, right, about how to do that. But the actual doing it is not so easy. Every executive has a different, you know, motivation. His, you know, if it's a revenue, if if it's a profit PL, it's all about revenue and margins and all of that. And do I really want to afford this change? Can I afford this change? What's it going to cost me? What's my allocation? <laughs> if I get down to the middle managers who are experiencing a lot of that, they are they usually buy in. The workers, if it's if it's a if it makes their lives better, they'll usually, you know, shift and move that direction. But if they don't see the reinforcement at the top level, it, it's very difficult. And like I said, that's the hardest sell, I think. Well, I think we have our first opportunity to be in disagreement. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I share at one level your perspective uh, to, a, to a great degree. But at another level, I come at it from a different mindset. Uh, and, and let me explain what I mean by that. I'll take just two topics to delve into, and then I'll, you know, uh, wrap it up uh, my thinking. First topic is on change. Do people dislike it? I, I would uh, challenge that premise. I think people love change. If you knocked on my door and said, Mark, congratulations, you just won the lottery. Here's $300 million. That's a change, and I'd have no problem with it. Uh, but, but seriously, into what you just said, people don't like change they don't understand or changes that impact them negatively. So, so 
I, I think we arrive at a similar place, but, but I argue the premise that people don't like change. People don't like change they don't like or don't understand or change is bad for them. People love good change. So having said that, then how do you sell it? And this is where I fundamentally have a different perspective and convictions on this perspective than uh, some of what you mentioned and, and a lot of what I've read by, by others, and that is, it's not yours to sell. And you shouldn't be selling it in the first place. And if I were to ask you what sales best practice you're using, you probably wouldn't recognize uh, Miller Hyman from Spend, from you know COS to to the 17 different best practices from a telephone book. But more to the point, it's it's not yours to sell. Uh, I I tell people that rather than sell the change, you should elicit the the leadership understanding and what they want and deliver what they want. Uh, and and if I can give the example of PMO as an example, where many PMO people say, I want to sell the PMO model that I want the leadership team to enable me to do. Is it, well, first, it's not your PMO, it's theirs. Second, you shouldn't sell them what you want to do. You should find out what they want to do. And then based upon what they want to do, uh, deliver that to them. So, so I, I think we come around and arrive at the same place, but, but I don't like the idea of selling someone on change. I, I much prefer the idea of a business discussion that says, you know, help me understand your business issues. You know, let's have a discussion of your business issues. Here are some alternatives we have in front of us. We can continue as is, or we could go this route. Which do you prefer? So, so you're not selling them. Uh, here's my option, option A. Uh, do you buy in? No, you're saying, here's the fork in the road. So help me understand your thinking. And, and you really want to have them sell you. You want them to say, this is what I want. Will you please support me? So we uh, sort of arrive at the same place, yeah, but, I, but I, 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 I arrive at much from a different perspective of not asking for buy-in or selling, but suggesting based upon alternatives at hand, what action do you want to take and why? And, and let's have it be what you want to do, not what I want to do. I'm the servant leader. I'm neutral. I'm Switzerland. You know, I, I can achieve whatever business strategy or plan you want us to do. It's not my call. You know, since it's not my call, it shouldn't be me trying to sell or trick you into being happy with my plan. Yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily. Well, let me let me offer a different perspective. If um, you say, and I'll use my PLM example because this is the one that's near and dear to my heart right now. What if they don't know what a PLM is, or they don't even know that they need it? Because that's kind of where they were. We haven't had a PLM for the whole time we've been a company, except for a short five-year period back in. They killed it in 2005, I believe. But I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even start there. I wouldn't even start with PLM. That's where people tell me, well, Mark, the first thing I have to do is teach people what PLM is and then have them know. I, I would focus the conversation not on what PLM, PLM is. I would focus the conversation on what PLM, PLM-related business issues and opportunities do you currently face right now? And let's talk about that. So, and, and you would probably do it that way as well. I mean, so no, actually I did. Actually I did. But again, it exactly. was, it, it, was it was kind of so the problem was our, our wasting inefficiencies, our delays in getting projects out, not executing yes, projects yes. correctly. So, but so I think you, it's, you the, could care less. You could care less about whether it's solution PLM XYZ or ABC, but to your point, whether it's waste or inefficiencies, that that's kind of my point. You yeah. want to not tell them what their waste is, tell them what their inefficiencies are. You want to facilitate as a servant leader to the discussion so that they arrive at and they unanimously agree upon the waste and inefficiencies that they want to address. So we're probably arriving at the same place, but I see it much more as a 
pull discussion as opposed to a push. Again, I should emphasize that they actually approached me to go implement the PLM. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily with that example. It may not have been the best, but um, the whole point no, was... No, that's, a perfect, that, that's perfect because that ties into my discussion about HBR, situational leadership and servant leadership. So here you're demonstrating great servant leadership. You see that there's a business opportunity to address these issues, which involve PLM. You probably have a leadership team that's very immature in their approach to implementing a complex solution like PLM. And rather than being involved to the degree to which they need to, they say, I got this great idea. Let's give it to Don. Don, go do it. <laughs> it so, so, something so like that. <laughs> that's why I was hired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so that's why you're hired. But, but the reality is, it's not a matter of hiring an expert to tell the leadership team, this is what we do. The leadership team has to be involved. And, oh, and what I see, much like what you're faced with, if I can use the PMO example, when PMOs struggle and fail, rarely is it the PMO expert manager is the issue or the project manager is the issue. It's a leadership team issue. Yeah. So, so to your point, you could be an expert in PLM and, and you probably would need to be and that would help. But the reality is you're probably going to have a tremendous opportunity to exhibit and exercise really good situational leadership skills and servant leadership skills in working with a leadership team so that they arrive at, discuss and debate what business issues related to PLM do they really want to address, whether it's waste or life cycle inefficiencies? What are they willing to invest in? What's the value of addressing that? And that's their call. You know, that, that's not the expert's call. That, that's their call. But the expert has to facilitate and elicit it out from them. And, and that's where I see... Yeah, I think we're in agreement at that point. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's where I kind of see there's this cart before the horse. You know, here's the solution, let's go, as opposed to having the leadership team because if a leadership team has discussed, let's take your PLM example, if they've discussed as a leadership team and arrived at the PML, PLM-related business issues and opportunities that they want to address, and as a leadership team, they've unanimously agreed upon it, they determine the value of addressing that, does the PLM expert have to go back to them and sell them on why they want to do PLM? Of course not, because <laughs> it was their idea to do. And, and I think that's the problem with most project management-related people uh, using your example, but applying to the PMO, project management people in the context of PMO far too often think it's their job to tell the leadership team what a PMO is and to sell them on a PMO model, rather than discussing what business issues do we have, facilitating a discussion where the leadership team unanimously agrees upon the purpose and the value of addressing those things, and, and then coming up with a solution. So, so I, I think that's something that I see. There's a domain knowledge, whether it's PLM or PMO, that's tremendously helpful but there's a lot of business acumen, leadership, servant leadership, situational leadership that's required. And you're probably in a great organization don't have this issue, but of organizations I work with, oftentimes not every member of the leadership team uh, has their elevator go up to the top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nor are they have the same degree of willingness and ability uh, to, to work with you. So, so it's a real challenge of you know, how do you work in a collaborative environment to achieve change, to implement solutions, to, to deliver value. And, and it's, in my opinion, not a matter of throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. It's really a matter of effectively collaborating and enabling the leadership team to arrive at uh, discussions and decision-making to properly cast the, the business mandate, whatever that business mandate is. Fantastic discussion. And I think that the root of that discussion, and, and I think all the topics we talked about today, is purpose. Right. What is the purpose of all of our actions, whether it be directly in the PMO or on the business side that's hopefully getting benefit from the PMO? 
And are we working towards purpose? And not purpose defined by the project, because again, we're the delivery mechanism of that, but the purpose of the business, the purpose of their objectives and their goals and their outcomes, and we're driving towards those. And we are approaching our, our time. So we're going to wrap up. And I, obviously, I thank Don and Mark for being on today. I also want to just wish everybody else out there a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year as well. I hope 2019 is going to be as successful for all of you as it has been for me. Before we sign off, I also want to give each of you guys a chance to uh, give the listeners one last opportunity to know how they can reach you or any information they have that you have to share with them that they may be interested in. So, Mark, we'll start with you. Well, well, thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. It was a pleasure to be on the show with you and Don. And for anybody that wants more information on business-driven PMO, uh, gosh, just go to Google, do a search, and there's a number of people that may come up. I might be one of those people. Uh, I can be found at our company's website, BOT International. Uh, but, but I'd encourage you, if you listen to the show, listen to Joe. Keep listening. Uh, and uh, enjoy the topics that Joe is bringing us. Thanks so much. I appreciate that, Mark. And Don, same for you. Yeah, I probably easiest way is just to find me on LinkedIn, uh, Donovan Hardenbrook. I'm the only one in the system, fortunately. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, if you'd like to reach out with me, um, be more than glad to connect. And uh, you know, if you want to chat about something that we discussed today or other around project management, quality, product development, be more than glad to talk with you. And what's great is I had met Don at the local PMI breakfast meeting here in Chandler. As much as PMI has opportunities to improve, it does some great things by allowing people who have a common interest with diverse backgrounds to come together and talk about project management. So I'm grateful uh, to PMI having those meetings and the opportunity to meet Don, learn more about your story and your background, and be able to share that today. And obviously, Mark, as well, I think we've met virtually and several LinkedIn chats about the topics of PMO and project management to sort of have you on the show today was a treat for me and a privilege. And I think we've actually shared the stage at some virtual conferences on discussing PMO as well. So maybe we can actually get in person one of these days and share our common thoughts. I'd like that. All right. So for everyone, this is just also a last reminder that we are live the first and third Thursday each month at 11 o'clock here in Phoenix. Our next show will be back on January 3rd, kicking off Season 2 in 2019 with Andy Kaufman and Derek Brownell. Also a reminder that these shows are recorded, so be sure to subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, you name it, we're on it. And at last check, I think we were number one project management podcast on iHeartRadio. So whatever that means, that's kind of cool. So again, thank you to our listeners for making this first season great. Thank you to Karen Nowicki for bringing me on this amazing journey. Thank you to Business Radio X for giving us this platform to reach so many different people and keep those comments coming. I appreciate it when I get comments, uh, as I did last week when someone said, hey, I've got a new job with an hour commute. And my favorite podcast to listen to on the drive is Project Management Office Hours. So that's it for now. Office Hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours.